1: I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. on Wall Street, and here is your Top 5 at 5. Was Wasn't just a one-day wonder? Futures lower again after Wednesday's big jump. Diplomats from Russia and Ukraine in Turkey this morning trying to find a way out of the war. This, the U.S. warns of Vladimir Putin potentially using chemical weapons of the conflict. The stock talk of the day, Amazon, announcing a massive 20-for-one stock split and a multi-billion dollar buyback. The ongoing chip shortage facing yet another headache. This one connected to Putin's war. And bad news for all you baseball fans. Major League Baseball and players once again strike out on a deal to end the lockout. It is Thursday, March 10th, and this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome, as always, from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Great to be back with you. Let us dive right in and get a check on your Monday money, or your morning money, rather. Thank God, it's not Monday. After yesterday's solid gains across the board, it is a different story right now. Futures, as you can see, they are down. NASDAQ futures down the most on a percentage basis off about three-tenths of one percent. Dow futures off triple digits as well. This coming off a roaring market yesterday. There is some some increasing hope at the meeting today between russian and ukrainian foreign ministers in turkey may give vladimir putin the out he needs to end this unwinnable war a nasdaq rising three and a half percent yesterday and there was solid market breath entirely across the board 89 of the nasdaq 100 stocks rose three of those names match datadog and moderna up more than 10 percent just in one day Still, even with that move, the index down 15% of the year, but a big move higher on Wednesday. Now, stocks rose as oil and gas fell hard. Oil dropping 11%. The UAE potentially breaking a bit from OPEC, pushing the group to raise output. It is under U.S. political pressure as one of the key allies in the Middle East. Oil right now, though, is higher from the close, but still about $14 lower than its intraday peak, then it hit on Tuesday, oil's up another 5 bucks, So another wild move in the oil markets today. The crypto, though, the big winner on Wednesday. Bitcoin rocketed up more than 8%, but kind of like stock futures, there is a turn back down today. All the major cryptos, they are lower right now. And we have to talk about one of the big money movers, maybe the big money mover of the day, and that is Amazon. It is announcing it is splitting its stock 20 to 1% and buying back up to 10 billion in shares. Only one other time has Amazon split, and that was all the way back in 1999. Amazon shares up nearly 7% right now. We'll get more on Amazon with John Jerry coming up in a few minutes. All right, let's go now around the world because markets in Asia and Europe, well, they're going in different directions. Asia kind of following the bounce that we had on Wall Street. Japan's Nikkei leading to gains up nearly 4%. But that was really yesterday. Take a look at the early trade that is live right now in Europe, and it is down across the board. In fact, the French market is off nearly 2%. So the markets that are trading, Europe and our futures, they are back down. The Asian markets may be a day behind reacting to our market as well. Either way, a lot of red on the live trade on your screen right now. Well, to the very latest on the war in Ukraine. Ukraine's foreign minister wrapping his meeting with his Russian counterpart just a short time ago. They are in Turkey holding talks, the first between the nation's top diplomats since Putin Robert launched Putin his war two weeks ago. That is a live shot of Ukraine's foreign minister. Um, he says there was the question, no progress you made you on a ceasefire, that but that he is ready to continue ceasefire. talks to stop the war. The well, ahead of that do sit no down, Ukraine's president accusing Moscow of carrying out genocide. This after officials said that Russian forces bombed a children's hospital. That attack, which has left patients buried and trapped under rubble, came despite a ceasefire deal for people to flee the city of Maripol. In the meantime, Ukrainian officials announcing this morning more evacuation routes for Maripol, as well as the city of Sumy and parts of Kyiv. Also happening now, the U.S. is warning that Russia could be preparing to use either chemical or biological weapons in its invasion. Biden administration citing of claims by the Russian Defense Ministry accusing Ukraine of possibly planning a so-called false flag chemical weapon attack to justify carrying out its own attack using the weapons. Now, speaking of the Biden administration, Vice President Harris is on the ground in Poland this morning. Harris meeting with the country's prime minister and president. Sit down coming on the heels of disagreements between the two sides over how to arm Ukraine with warplanes to fight Russia's invasion. Harris will also meet with Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau later in the day. Meantime, back here in the United States, the House last night approving more than $13.5 billion in aid to Ukraine. Lawmakers also signing off on a bill to ban imports of Russian oil and energy. And on the corporate front, Rio Tinto, becoming the latest company to cut commercial ties with Russia, the world's second biggest miner was buying fuel and other products from the country, and controlled a large aluminum refinery in Australia with the company Rusal of Russia. All right, let's get back now to the markets. Investors gearing up for the latest read on one of, if not the key factor driving the markets right now, and that is actually inflation. February's Consumer Price Index is out later on today, and it is expected to show a nearly 8% jump from a year ago. If so, that would be one of the highest inflation readings ever. And of course, a big reason for it, higher oil, gas, and energy costs. And your next guest says that it is indeed oil that may be the most important part of the stock market right now. Let's bring in Mark Avalon. He is president of Potomac Wealth Advisors. Mark, good to have you on again this morning. Why is oil so important to equities right now?
2: Good morning, Brian. And it's important because it's, it's a bit of a wild card and it's, and it's hard to play out where this goes you just spent a couple of days at that oil conference and, and you heard firsthand that how how murky the future is and it so much depends on this ukraine conflict which outcome is is murky and unknown so therefore you can't plan for it uh just when we think the fed might try to get inflation under control Prices are at their pump going up 10 20 $0.30 a gallon per day. So that trickles through other areas of the economy. It impacts the industrial area. It impacts manufacturing. It impacts consumers' pockets, their ability to spend. It impacts confidence. And it's going to impact the inflation numbers. So across the board, oil has to get under control in order for us to have a sustained rally and not just one-day wonders like we had yesterday.
1: Is it more that, to your point, the consumer gets crushed, they they just don't have any excess money to add to corporate earnings? Or is it that the Fed believes it's got to become more aggressive? Or is it some sort of combination of the both? And I ask about the Fed, Mark, not because they're not important, they are, but there is nothing the Federal Reserve can likely do to bring down the price of oil other than nudging this economy into a recession. Well, that's
2: a lot there. And, and none of that is really a good outcome. Whether, and stagflation is really the word you didn't use. And that's the big worry, right? The big worry is we have inflation. It's, it's oil driven. It's supply, it's supply chain driven. And the Fed is powerless in both of those areas. Look, if we have a glimmer of good news on inflation, it was in that chart that you showed earlier. Last February and March, we were still in a low inflation world. The inflation spiked up April and May. Inflation is a year-over-year phenomenon. Come May, the the comparables for the prior year for inflation are gonna be very hard to have in this very elevated range. So we're going to see moderating inflation, even if there's a spike in oil, the pressure on inflation will be coming down because on a year-over-year basis, the baseline for inflation is going to be much higher, and hence the hurdle rate for current year inflation is going to be even higher. So I think that's what investors could actually take some comfort in. I think the headline number on inflation, X energy, is going to start to look better in a month or two.
0: Okay.
1: Well, let's hope. And listen, right now, the markets are having a tough start to the year. If you're not invested in oil and gas, you're probably down on the year. But if you go back a couple of years and you've ridden the market, you're up. You've still made a lot of money in the last few years. So you're kind of sitting on these gains, watching the market nervously, wondering what to do. Is it time to sell some stocks you made money in and maybe pick up some things that that are down now 20 or 30% in the last couple of months and maybe go for more hard assets or things like uh, real estate or, or banks? What do we do, Mark?
2: Well, you mentioned real estate, and unfortunately, real estate's starting to correlate to the stock market pretty well, depending on certain areas, of course. But generally, it's getting harder to find less diversified assets when you see these melt-ups or the melt- meltdowns. I think investors would be should look to the scenario I'm laying out in the second half of this year, where inflation moderates and growth and growth slows, and in a slowing growth world, Investors want growth stocks. That's what happened in the period from 2009 to 2017, where we had slow economic growth and growth outperformed value. Tech stocks soared. And these massive cash flowing machines, the mega cap tech names, you talked about Amazon earlier, companies with strong franchise value, reliable cash flow sources and high top line growth are going to become in vogue when the Fed higher oil prices and, and, and this whole economy starts to slow down out of this hyper growth mode. And that's where we would be looking. We would actually be going right into technology and growth right now.
1: Well, it is a new world. It is a scary new world. It's also a new investing world, Mark, because we have not seen this kind of inflationary environment going on 40 plus years. It's going to be really interesting to see how it shakes out. Mark Avalon, Potomac Wealth. Mark, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Have a great day. All right, we come back here on Worldwide Exchange. Disney CEO taking on the critics as he speaks out over a controversial piece of legislation making its way through one state. If you've been out to eat lately, you know that prices are soaring if you have. Coming up, the legendary Peter Luger Steakhouse is navigating the growing challenge of surging food and fuel costs. And speaking of fuel, your morning RBI is back, and it will dive into the dramatic swings that we have seen in energy and maybe... Show you just how bonkers these markets really are.
3: What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
0: The legend of Cayman Jack
2: is just around the corner. Mixed with blue agave nectar, real lime juice, and cane sugar. For the perfect balance of sweet, salty, and sour every time. Discover legendary taste with Cayman Jack, America's number one margarita. Premium flavored malt beverage. Please drink responsibly. All registered trademarks used under license by American Vintage Beverage Company, Chicago, Illinois.
1: All right, welcome or welcome back in. Good Thursday morning. It's getting out now to some of your other top headlines happening now, including another delay for baseball and maybe... A season increasingly at risk. Bertha Coombs is here now with that and more. Bertha, not good news for you and all the other Red Sox and baseball fans out there.
4: No, no, it's not, Brian. Thank you. Let's start off, though, with Washington. The House approving a massive spending bill overnight that will see one and a half trillion dollars going to fund government programs. Legislation would avert a shutdown that would have been triggered this weekend after hours hours of debate. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi had a $15 billion COVID aid initiative deleted from that bill at the last minute in order to expedite the approval of aid to Ukraine that was also included in the legislation. The bill now moves to the Senate, which hopes to make a decision before existing government funds expire on Friday. Disney is now publicly opposing Florida's controversial Don't Say Gay bill. CEO Bob Chapek telling a shareholder meeting that he and other Disney leaders were opposed to the bill from the outset, but thought they could be more effective working behind the scenes. Chapek plans to meet with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis about the bill and says Disney will be donating $5 million to LGBTQ-related organizations And the MLB cancelling more games as negotiations between owners and the players union remain at a standstill. The league is pushing opening day to April 14th removing two more series from the calendar. It's now been more than a week since MLB owners canceled the beginning of the regular season. Issues regarding the league's competitive balance tax and minimum salaries still need to be worked out. You know, the timing could not be worse. After two years where they hardly had anyone in the stands, now is when they're really taking this to the mattresses. I guess it's important to the players, but still, you know, you're, you're really not doing any good for your audience.
1: You just hope you have a sport to come back to, Bertha. You know that interest in baseball has been on the decline anyway. Now you got this. And exactly. You just wonder what it's going to look like the longer they go on, how they come out of this. We'll, we'll see. Bertha, thank you. All right, still on deck here at Worldwide Exchange. How the rise of a medal that you probably never think about. Could mean more bad news for one major industry that you do. That's next.
0: Today's big number, $50 million. That's how much McDonald's expects to lose per month because of the Russia shutdown. On Tuesday, the fast food chain said it would be temporarily closing all 850 of its restaurants in Russia.
4: Life is a highway and on it there will be many chicken
6: sandwiches but there's only one mid crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour All
1: right welcome or welcome back The metals industry and financial regulators are up to their necks in a mess in London's nickel market an ill-fated trade sparking huge gains billions in losses and the ultimate suspension of trading, the crisis ramifications from everything from miners to steelmaking to even electric car makers. Christina Partsinevel is joining us now with more on this latest headache for the commodity markets and the industry that nickel impacts. Christina.
7: Well, nickel trading is still halted across the London Metal Exchange and is not expected to come back online until at least Friday. The LME even retroactively suspended trading. In other words, that means canceled trades that already happened on Monday. Nickel is mined in over 20 countries, with Russia counting about 5% of global supply. But the world's largest producer of battery-grade nickel, that would be Norilska Nickel, is actually based in Russia and controls about 15% of global supply. And so nickel prices go up for political reasons. We've seen that. But they shouldn't go from $25,000 a ton a few weeks ago to over $100,000 a ton earlier this week. That's the largest swing we've ever seen on the LME. And when prices go up, it's expected to be good for nickel producers. But that's not the case with nickel mining stocks like Rio Tinto, BHP, Vale. All down this past week, miners and processors often take short positions. So this is how we explain what's happened. They take the short position as a hedge for their physical stock of the metal, and in theory, if a price goes up, a short should cancel it out. But when prices skyrocket really quickly, anyone holding a short needs to find even more cash to cover their positions, and that's exactly what happened. So once this squeeze runs its course, some could benefit, according to JP Morgan analysts, who suggest Glencore and Anglo-American would be the most significant beneficiaries. But much like other metals, the nickel market is considered to be in short supply driven by demand, like you mentioned, Brian, from everything from electric vehicles, specifically batteries to construction and electronics. And within electronics, we're talking semiconductors. And that means it might take longer for supply chains in the semiconductor space to normalize.
1: So there's this massive position that got just blown out. And now you've got the first closure since, I think, Rutherford B. Hayes was the United States president 145 years ago. All right, let's also talk about China, because China, they make a lot of everything, but they make a lot of steel. And nickel is also used in primarily for steel making. So who in China could be the most impacted here?
7: Well, there's one company that a lot of people keep talking about because they potentially are on uh, on the line for billions of dollars, and that's a Chinese holding company. That would be sing Shang Holding Group. And what we're hearing now is that they potentially will be getting lines of credit from two banks. So maybe they'll be you know raising their head out of the water with this one, and they may be changing their hedging strategy. But that's just one large example of a company that is struggling because the nickel prices uh, shot up so dramatically. There are many others, but This one's the big one, the big one out there. And like you said, you're seeing it across a lot of metals right now. So the big question is, will we face these repercussions later on, two, three months down the line, and will it hurt our supply chains, especially here in the United States with autos?
1: Well, 100%. I mean, I'll answer that, even though I'm probably not supposed to. The reality is aluminum prices are at record highs because the price of electricity is so high, and aluminum takes just a lot of electricity. That's most car bodies. Nickel going into things like EV batteries, to your point, Christina. So you know Rivian, for example, maybe it's not because of nickel announcing as much as twenty percent price hikes on their upcoming electric cars or trucks and, and SUVs. I mean, these are the things we never think about. I don't know if anybody's ever talked about nickel, other than my son maybe asking for one if he goes out and gets the mail. I mean, it's this is a market we don't talk about, but it's really important for so many things.
7: Just quickly, though, you know, you did see the statistics now that a nickel is worth more than a dime because it's made by a, a primarily 75% copper and 25% nickel and because those prices have skyrocketed. But the Mint says it's illegal to melt down nickels. The more you know, right? You can tell your kids that.
1: Nickel is worth more than a dime. There's some sort of larger meta take in that. It's like, I don't know what it is. A nickel is worth more. It sounds like a 1929 song. Maybe by Cole Porter. Christina Partsinevelis, thank you very much.
7: Okay, maybe. Thank you. All right,
1: on deck. Shares of Amazon taking off this morning after announcing a 20-for-1 stock split and a big buyback plan. John Najarian is here to lay out what that could mean for not only Amazon, but maybe the markets overall. Stock futures, they're down 7 tenths of 1%. No follow-through right now. And speaking of stocks on the move, CrowdStrike, another one of your big money movers this morning, it is up 12%, beating earnings on both the top and the bottom lines. It is also issuing strong guidance for the 2023 fiscal year. So if you own CrowdStrike, it's been a rough run lately, but this morning, looking pretty good. We're back right after this. The markets, big bounce back, fizzling out. This the world hopes for an out for Putin's war in Ukraine futures. They are lower. Top diplomats from Russia and Ukraine in Turkey this morning in the hopes of finding an end to the fighting. As Moscow's campaign of aggression continues, we are live in Ukraine with the very latest. And the stock story of the day, Amazon ordering up its first stock split in more than 20 years. The massive buyback plan. It's Thursday, March 10th, and this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome or welcome back, everybody, and good Thursday morning. I am Brian Sullivan. Good to have you with us. And let's get right now to your morning money. After yesterday's big gains, pretty much for every stock across the board, futures right now not showing a follow-through. They are down about 7 tenths of 1%. The NASDAQ, it is off triple digits as well. So at least right now, there does not seem to be an indication of any follow-through buying for the major markets. Now, of course, the markets roared yesterday. The NASDAQ rising 3.5%. 89 of the NASDAQ 100 rose. Three stocks, Match, Datadog, and Moderna, all up more than 10% in just one day. Now, stocks rose as oil and gas fell. Oil dropping 11%, one of its worst days ever. The UAE coming out and hinting it could break from OPEC's deal, pushing the group to raise its output. UAE, no doubt, under a lot of political pressure from the United States as a key ally in the Middle East. Oil, though, it is back higher, up 5%, but it is still about 14 bucks from its intraday high on Tuesday. By the way, your RBI in a few minutes will show you just how bonkers some of these energy markets really are. And now we have to talk about maybe the biggest single stock story of the day, if not the week, and that is Amazon splitting its stock 20 to 1, buying back up to $10 billion in shares. The only other time that Amazon split was all the way back in 1999. Amazon shares up just under 6% right now. So let's talk more now about this and maybe the macro market, what it all may mean. John Najarian, co-founder of Market Rebellion and a CNBC contributor joining us now. And John, you just sent us sort of some of your call options activity. You pointed to this big move in one of the months. What are you seeing with Amazon options?
0: Sure. Well, thank you, Brian. Um, the the buying really centers on this week's expiration. So tomorrow expiration uh, is the 11th of March. And they're buying and were buying yesterday aggressively only in this very front week, meaning they thought they had tomorrow's newspaper today or uh, they just had, as Barry Diller says, a lucky bet. Um, I don't believe in luck that much, Brian. People were buying at the 2,700 strike, which is more or less where Amazon was yesterday. Every $50 strike up from there, because of course, until this 20 for 1 stock split happens, this is a $2,700 stock, but not anymore. But wait, now it's a $2,950 stock. So they were buying big numbers. For instance, by Brian. At that 2,900 strike, something that was almost $200 out of the money, they were buying 9,000 of those calls. And at various other strikes closer to the money, they were buying 6,000, 7,000, 8,000 calls, an awful lot versus normal activity.
1: Yeah, I'm looking through your list here, John. I'm going to look over and read to apologize for showing the viewers the side of my head. Yeah, you got volume here, 133, 195, 16, and then, oh, 1,577 to one month. So if, if, it, if somebody got lucky, they got lucky in a huge way, mm-hmm. or a lot of people also just got really, really lucky. I mean, that number sticks out, and you have to be kind of a a cretin to look at that and not assume that there was some kind of something, something going on.
0: No offense to yeah, Crete. Yeah, again, it closed it closed at 2785 yesterday. And so for somebody to be just randomly with 2 days left to trade buying those 2900 calls for about $4. They were trading for as low as I think $3 traded up to close just over 4. Well, with the stock at 2963, they're worth $63. So like I say that's not just a 10x winner. Um that's more like coming up on 15 times your money in just hours. So those are the kind of trades we like to follow, Brian. Wow! And those are the kinds that usually cause the regulator to do a little head scratch and say maybe we'll dig into who bought those calls.
1: Does it look, I mean, 15x in a matter of hours. Uh, if it was, by the way, just mm-hmm. pure luck, and let's just assume it was, right? Uh, congratulations to whoever or whatever it may be. Does it look to you, John, like it yep. would be one buyer? I mean, it's a big, big trade. So if it's a buyer, it's got to be a whale.
0: Yeah, it would have to be a whale because, you know, when we're talking, like I said, at the 2,900 strike, I think it was 9,000 of those. So that's nearly a million shares of stock. Every option's for 100 shares. So when we're talking about 10,000 options, that's a million shares of a $2,700 stock, which now $2,965 stock. That's somebody really big. Now, they don't have to turn it into stock, of course. They can flip out of those calls today, and I imagine they will. Um, but yeah, this was very shrewd timing. And uh, my hat's off to them. I think a lot of us were, I guess they could point to the Google you know, split to say, well, that's why we put on this big bet waiting for Amazon. But again, with only two days for that bet yeah. to pay off.
1: Uh, Listen, again, innocent until proven otherwise. Uh, If it was just random, it was a hell of a trade. Congratulations to whoever or whatever group it may be. But to your point, it was so it stuck out so big. We'll see if the regulators take notice as well. John, we're glad you took notice. And by the way, my friend, I will see you tomorrow night in Florida for the Market Rebellion event. I can't wait. Yep.
0: Yeah. At TPC Sawgrass. Can't wait to see you here, Brian. Everybody wants to see you.
1: (laughs) All right. All right. All week long, because I haven't been on enough planes lately, but I can't wait. John Najarian, thank you very much, buddy. All right. Now to Ukraine and a more serious topic. And their foreign minister wrapping his meeting with his Russian counterpart a short time ago and telling reporters there was no progress made on a ceasefire. And by the way, likely one big reason we are seeing stock futures sell off and oil rising right now. The Ukrainian foreign minister, though, saying he is ready to continue talks to stop the war. These were the first talks between the nation's top diplomats since Putin launched his war two weeks ago. Ahead of the sit-down, Ukraine's president accusing Moscow of carrying out genocide after officials said that Russian forces bombed a children's hospital. That attack coming despite a ceasefire deal for people to flee the city of Maripol. NBC News' Molly Hunter is in Lviv in the western part of Ukraine and joins us now with more just absolutely gutting And tragic pictures, Molly, of that children's hospital in Maripol.
3: Brian, good morning. That's right. We have seen the pictures. There are Associated Press photographers on the ground in Mariupol. We know uh, that... There were injured people. We know, according to city officials, that there were three people uh, who died and many more injured. I just want to run you through the top lines. As you mentioned, the foreign ministers are meeting right now. This is the highest level uh, meeting we have seen. Some rounds of cease talks, ceasefire talks, excuse me, but not at this level. Uh, so, Ukrainian foreign minister Kuleba is saying that Russia signaled it is not ready to implement a ceasefire. It wants Ukraine to surrender. Kuleba was very strong. He was speaking in English. He says this is not going to happen. He says Russia's narrative is that they will continue aggressively until Ukraine surrenders. Now, foreign minister Lavrov, Russian foreign minister Lavrov is speaking right now. He was claiming there were military targets at that maternity ward that we have seen those horrific pictures, Brian. He also goes on to say he's not interested in justifying Russian actions. But as we discussed, we have seen the pictures. We have spoken with city officials. It is independently confirmed that a maternity ward in a children's hospital was bombed yesterday uh, by Russian forces in the city of Mariupol. Brian?
1: Uh, Just absolutely tragic there. And so people have been fleeing. We know nearly two million Ukrainians so far, Molly, have already left. So what is the very latest, not only on the humanitarian situation, obviously to help people that are currently there, but also the effort to get more Ukrainians evacuated out of some of these cities?
3: That's right. In Mariupol, the city where the children's hospital was hit is really a priority. There are seven evacuation routes that have been laid out that apparently have been agreed between the Russians and the Ukrainians with the ICRC uh, facilitating, brokering those jobs. Mariupol, uh, as well as Kharkiv, has been under constant bombardment for the last week. Every single day for the last six days, families in Mariupol, Brian, have woken up thinking that maybe today is the day that their humanitarian corridor actually works, that the ceasefire holds temporarily and they can get out. We have seen no evidence, though, of civilians getting out of Mariupol this morning. Now, civilians from the east are trying to get to the west of the country where I am. I am in Lviv. This is the destination for anyone fleeing the violence in the east. It's also the departure point, Brian, for anyone getting out of the country to Poland. As you mentioned. Two million people have actually gotten out of the country. But there are a lot of people, uh, tens of thousands of people, Brian, who actually want to stay, who believe in their country, who want to try to wait it out. Brian?
1: Yeah, well, and, and from what I understand, Molly, and correct me if I'm wrong, some of the men or all the men are required to effectively stay. Is there an operating airport where you are? Is it, Or is, the, is getting out really solely reliant on just hoping you can drive or, or walk across the border?
3: That's exactly right. So any fighting age men uh, really over kind of teenage and above are staying, which means that everyone I am meeting here in Lviv, mothers and very young children, multiple children. And the only way out uh, really is to get to the train station here in Lviv and then to take a short train to the border. And then you have to walk. You have to wait in line. It is 25 degrees Fahrenheit out here. It is freezing. They have to wait in line, walk across with their children, with their bags or try to get a car to get across To neighboring countries, but the only way is on foot.
1: Just such a tragedy on so many levels. So, Molly Hunter, first and foremost, be safe, be careful, but we are glad you are there. Molly, thank you. All right, coming up, if you think that the commodity and the oil markets aren't completely bonkers right now, we're going to show you something that may change your mind. It is your morning RBI, and it is ahead. Plus, how New York landmark Peter Luger Steakhouse is navigating both the rising price, gas, wages, meat, and what it all means for the legendary steakhouse. That's next. Stick around. All right, welcome or welcome back. Now, let's get to an important story that all has to do with inflation and in an industry that is under pressure from so many different angles. We're talking about restaurants and dining out, already struggling in certain parts of the country due to the pandemic, and now facing a new twofold threat, one in much higher labor costs if you can find labor, and the other surging food, fuel, and other input costs. The reality forcing many to make tough calls and either absorbing the price spikes or to try to pass them on to consumers. Joining us now is one person on the front lines the inflation fight, and that is David Burson. He is the vice president, general manager, and part owner at Peter Luger, one of the oldest steakhouses in the nation, one of the most famous uh, restaurants, and really landmarks. Forget about a restaurant; just a landmark in New York City. Really a must-do. David, we're glad to have you you back on. I, I actually uh, saw uh, a couple of days ago a friend of mine owns a bunch of restaurants, Tillman Fortino, who everybody on this on this network knows, and we talked about. This very issue he said he can almost not keep up with the increases in meat and other costs coming from his suppliers. take us into a normal month for you. I mean, are you getting price increases on a on a monthly or even a weekly basis david
8: Sure, thanks for having me on Brian. Uh, I think it really depends the i 'm sorry the price of meat has changed exponentially over the last two years, and we've seen especially the price of prime beef, increase close to 100% at its highest point. Um, in addition, one of the hardest things that was affecting us was being able to hire during this pandemic, in which not only was there lack of access to talent, but also the base rate has gone up exponentially as well.
1: Yeah, listen, you guys are obviously iconic. And so if you look at a Peter Luger or maybe Danny Meyer, we did something with him last week. Or if you're a Tillman and you're sort of at the top of the pecking order, it might be a little bit easier for you. But even for you guys, we know because we talked to you uh, last year, it was hard. Have things gotten better on the labor and employment front?
8: I think the labor side has definitely improved a bit. We're seeing people who are eager to get back to work along with our customers who are eager to return to dining in full uh, force, I think. Um, So we've been fortunate in that regard, along with the sense that, as you mentioned, we have long tenure in Brooklyn that I think allows for a sense of safety when it comes to employment and we're fortunate that we're going to have a true um, business, kind of rain, sun, or shine.
1: Yeah, you know, and, and the one thing I have noticed about uh, a lot of online menus lately, David, I think yours may be the same way, is that they don't mention pricing. Now, if you got to mention pricing to go to Peter Luger, probably don't go. But for a lot of just regular restaurants, I'm noticing, I'm looking at, them, I'm like, hmm. There's no prices on the menu. And I wonder if it's because that things are changing so quickly. They just don't want to have to keep updating the menu. I mean, is is that kind of what it is? Or is there kind of like, well, it's, you know, for the, not for you guys, but for other restaurants, maybe they just don't want to scare the customer off.
8: I'm a foodie first and foremost, and I enjoy going out to eat more than almost anything. And I've definitely felt the rise in cost and going out to eat. And as a business owner, we've really tried to be conservative in how we pass on the buck to our customers. Um, we've always taken great pride in our hamburger being under $20. Um, obviously the cost of a large porterhouse, which we're known for is quite expensive, but we like that we're able to offer a menu that has, um, cheaper items as well and hopefully can keep it to a respectable price per head
1: the luger burger by the way my mouth is literally watering david because i'm thinking about the luger burger and the special german fried potatoes i wish i could have some right now even for breakfast would be fantastic that's key right keeping something there for everybody on the menu
8: Yeah, definitely. We want to have something for everyone. We're open seven days a week, uh, lunch and dinner, and unless there's a true natural weather disaster, we're expecting to be open. So we want to really put our best foot forward, especially with what we think is the real reopening of New York City now.
1: Yeah, and so glad to hear that things are getting a little better. Yeah, prices are elevated, but to your point, maybe that demand is there. People, especially in New York, for two years, it's been a tough run. Peter Luger, legendary. We're going to make the run out to Brooklyn soon, David. Get some of those special German fried potatoes, which, by the way, are fantastic for breakfast, too. David, don't quote me on that. Take care. Have a great day. Thanks for coming on. Thanks,
8: Brian. Hey, it's like a hash brown,
1: right? All right, on deck. Investors bracing for the latest read on already record high inflation. So what do we do? What do you invest in? Credit Suisse's Patrick Palfrey is here laying out why rising prices aren't only to blame for stocks' ongoing troubles. And just a reminder, if you haven't already, be sure to follow our podcast on all the major platforms. If you missed the show, we get it. But you can check it out from the podcasting platform as well. We are back. Dow Futures, they're down and down more than they were. Markets not following through to yesterday's big gains. Oil up again. and We're back right after this. All right, welcome back. I'm back, and so is the RBI, the most random but interesting stat of the day, CNBC style. Today, let's talk about what else, the global oil and commodity markets. Because as crazy as they have been lately, what just happened may take the cake. I mean, the entire cake, frosting, icing, everything. Because check this out. Yesterday, the fuel known as gas oil, which is basically just much of the diesel fuel used in Europe, did something remarkable. The March futures contract surged at the open of trading. They boomed higher. They hit 1,665 per contract. That was a new record high going all the way back to when they were created in 1981. Everybody probably thought, oh, here we go again with big gains. But then midway through trading, everything turned. Gas oil started to sell off. And more sellers came in, and even more sellers. And by the end of trading, gas oil was below 1100 bucks, Over 1600 to under 1100 Which means that the commodity lost about 27% during trading. And that gave it the worst day since 1991. I want you to think about that. In just a couple of hours, diesel fuel contracts in Europe both hit an all-time high and then posted one of the biggest losses ever. What drove that incredible change in sentiment? I have no idea. And while you may not care at all about gas oil contracts, we show you this because you may care about the markets overall. And if you're watching this show, we assume that you do. And that little gas oil contract should show you that these markets are on edge, they're nervous, and some of them can move really, really fast. So if you're dipping into trading any commodity like this, be careful, the world And the markets can change in hours. Random, but hopefully interesting. All right, surging energy prices, just one piece of the puzzle. And what has been driving the markets as of late? Bring in the rest. Philadelphia, Patrick Palfrey is senior equity strategist at Credit Suisse. And Patrick, I know that maybe you and your team don't care about gas oil either. I only mentioned it because a 27% swing in in, in a matter of hours, even for that, yes, thinlier traded contract, shows does it not to you and correct me if I'm wrong this is a nervous market that can move really fast
6: Well Brian I mean you're absolutely right uh, the volatility that we're seeing in markets is is uh, you know almost unprecedented particularly with some of these commodities and I think the the question for investors is how do you allocate how do you pick stocks in this environment and ultimately it comes down to where do you have conviction and can you uh, ultimately look through the noise that's happening on the day-to-day basis there's there's plenty of great stocks that there's plenty of great opportunities the question is does the volatility throw off your timing does it throw off your mentality but for those who can stomach it i think the opportunities are very good right here
1: yeah and you guys uh, have a target that i think is about 19% i think it's 5200 on the correct me if i'm wrong patrick on the s&p it's about a 19% gain from here obviously that that's a heavy lift and I'm not. We're not going to hold you December 31st, right? It's just the calendar. But have you guys thought about reducing your S and P 500 target?
6: Well, I think right now with the VIX elevated at around 30 to 33, we're looking for that ultimately to come back in over the course of the year. And I think as volatility falls, we expect the market's going to make up a lot of the ground. I think the question which we are ultimately debating right now is what is the potential impact from the uh, ultimate crisis in Ukraine do we have a situation where higher oil prices result in significant demand destruction because there there's a case to be made that that higher oil and inflation is a, is a very positive for corporate profits the question though is whether or not it ultimately hits a decline in real sales companies live in a nominal world nominal sales are good but if the if we see a fall in volumes that's really the question right now we don't have enough evidence to see that damage right now um but but should that come through we'd absolutely be open to revising that
1: yeah i think you guys are probably making a lot of calls or or messages to your chief economist and his or her staff because it's like at what point do we get that demand destruction at what point patrick does the consumer faced with higher rent higher milk higher steak higher fuel you know they got higher wages thank goodness but is there a breaking point? Have you guys kind of identified where that may be yet?
6: Well, I, I think right now where most people are focused on is the breaking point with oil. It's one of the biggest uh, inputs into uh, the daily consumer's life, and it's one of the areas where we've seen the biggest move. Uh, you know, historically, I think that's been around uh, you know one hundred and fifty dollars uh, on oil with what many people are talking about. I think oftentimes when you look back over time, though. Uh, particularly with 08 was the analogy which most investors are making. Um, We we have a different environment, uh, not only with how we live our life, but also with the ability to remote work, the ability to have alternative decisions, and also we have more efficient cars. So I don't necessarily know if that analogy is entirely appropriate, but I think there are certainly lessons to be learned. Inflation is the biggest issue. We'll we'll get inflation data today. The biggest issue that is ultimately facing consumers. You're you're absolutely right. Wages have come through, and that's really helped. But ultimately, costs have come through
1: as well. Very quickly, about 20 seconds, I saw your recommendations. It's all buy, buy stocks of companies that make stuff, materials, energy, right?
6: The hard stuff, yeah, exactly. Materials, energy, uh, to a lesser degree, financials, but basically anything that gains from a strong economic environment, that's where you want to be. And, and, and the and GDP is we just like, it's big.
1: Yeah, well said. It is the stuff market, if you will. Materials, industrials, energy, some of the sectors that you guys like. A credit squeeze. Patrick Palfrey, really appreciate your views. Thank you. Have a great day. Take care. And folks, that wraps it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. It goes by like that, doesn't it? Well, Squawk Box for Ganger up next. We'll see you tomorrow with, by the way, our regular exclusive insider buying segment. Those stocks, most of them, have done really well in the past year. We'll see what those names tomorrow. Squawk is up next. Have a spectacular day.